So turn to Luke 2. And we're just going to read through this. And as, as I, I like to explain, when, when you read the Word of God, try to place yourself in this situation. Try to place yourself there. Because it will give you a stronger sense of what is going on. So th- this is the... Luke has the, the uh, largest recorded information of Jesus' birth. And so we're going to read down... We'll, we'll just start at the beginning and read till we're done. Uh, probably down through verse 20. And at that time... And you, you have to forgive us the... the Pro-presenter is not working correctly. That's what happens when you upgrade to a new one. <laughs> so, but, uh, but we'll get it figured out. At that time, the Roman emperor, and this is in the New Living Translation. I know I usually do the ESV. This is the New Living Translation because it will sound more like a story. And, and I want you to just think of yourself being there. At that time, the Roman Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinus was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home, He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night... There were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Imagine what's going on. Okay, first of all, I love the fact that the very first people that the Father sends to are shepherds. The lowly shepherds out in the fields. He could have told kings, he could have told anybody else, but he told shepherds nearby. And you can imagine, I mean, if that happened to you, you'd be a little freaked out, wouldn't you? All of a sudden you have this angel here and, and, and you're freaked out enough by this angel telling you what's going on. But then all of a sudden heaven opens up and you see these heavenly, just this host all over the place singing. You'd go, wouldn't you? 
yeah, I, I, I think I would go. I would pin the sheep or I wouldn't care about the sheep. I, I don't know. I would just go. It's a good, good luck, sheep. Try and stick together. I don't know. But just get the feeling for what's going on here. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. They recognized it was the Lord. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was a baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. See, they're, they're telling what they experienced in the field. It was this heralding, this, this calling out, expressing who that baby was. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and, a thought, and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angels had told them. So recognize the faith that it had to take to bring that about. Every step of Jesus' life were steps of faith. It started with Mary and then Joseph. Those steps of faith to bring them even to that point in Bethlehem. Trusting God. I mean, imagine how upset they must have been, unless they knew ahead of time, how upset they must have been, thinking, you, are you serious? You, you really need a census now? You need a census now? I'm, 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 you know, I'm nine months here, and i got to walk. It's not like they had you know, cars back then. They did have horses, but if you've ridden a horse, <laughs> okay, those are a little bumpy. <laughs> but imagine the faith that was required, and then imagine the faith that was required of those shepherds. When an angel, a, a host of the Lord, comes and says, go and see. This is the Messiah. Go and see. But then imagine, imagine the faith that Jesus had to display. See, he started out as a baby, like you and me. Our family went to go see Justin and Caitlin just had their, their little baby, Jace. And so he's, what, two days old? Yeah. Two, two or three days old. And we got to see him, got to hold him. We didn't break him. Yes. He's this perfect little boy. Perfect little baby boy. And you look at the sweetness and the innocence and, and, and forgive me for saying it this way, but the lack of knowledge. You know, I mean, you, you, the, the, a little newborn baby has their eyes open. And you, you just imagine what they're thinking. You know, all this new stuff to them. See, do you understand? Jesus did not come out of the womb knowing who he was. Jesus did not come out of the womb knowing, like, could recite everything in the Old Testament. Because he knew. It said he learned through obedience. Jesus learned. Jesus learned. What was that obedience? That obedience was faith. 
Jesus at a very young age, we recognize, began following in what God had for him, what the Father... So it, it, it says literally nothing about this part of his relationship with the Father. We, know, we have little clips. Like when he was 12 years old, we know that he was preaching in the synagogue. We know he was left by his family. <laughs> and he said, I must be about my father's business. So as he learned this about his father, there were steps of faith that he had to take. Why? Because he had to be an example to you and me. We had to be able to say that Jesus did this, so could I. By the way, that's exactly what he said. He said, you will do these things. In fact, you will do even more because I go to sit at the right hand of my Father. Was he just talking about the miracles? No. I think that's part of what he was talking about. But it was the faith. It was, it was the faith. He said, he said, if you have the faith, faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. So the faith that he began building for those three plus years with those disciples, but not just the twelve, but all who followed him, was that faith that surrounds family. He was teaching them love. He was teaching them community. In fact, if you, if you go forward to after he's died and resurrected and he's with his disciples again, what is the, what is the one thing he says to Peter? Do you, do you remember the story? At the, I, think of, I think it's in John. Uh, John 21. Okay, remember Peter, they're, they're out fishing because, I don't know, they're depressed or something. <laughs> right? They're just out fishing and, and, and they're catching nothing. And, and this guy on the shore says, cast your net on the other side. Now, I would love to know Peter's brain right then. Because that happened once before. Do you think he knew immediately? That's Jesus. Or did he think, I've heard this before, that sounds really familiar. But you know what, I have enough faith to do it. And cast it over the other side, and they caught so much fish, 153 of them. So they, they could have been like this. They had to probably be big fish, right? Because they couldn't even, it was difficult to haul them in, all they could do was drag them. Two boats. But what did Peter do? <clears throat> Forget the fish, he jumps off. And he swims in. They're about 100 yards out. He swims in. Anybody swim 100 yards in the ocean? See, I used to do this all the time. I, when I lived in California, I used to surf. And when you get the bigger waves, you're out past the breaker line because you wait for the bigger sets that start further out. And, and if you don't have your surfboard or you lose your surfboard, that's a long swim. Peter was doing it in a robe. That would be a longer swim. So he gets in, and, and it's Jesus, and they're all happy and everything else, and, and, and they're eating, and then it's just Jesus and Peter just sitting there. So this is Jesus' opportunity to impart on him just this, 
this final word, this final important thing, and this, this vast knowledge. And what does he say to him? In John 21, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What an odd question. I think it has to come from the fact that Peter's the only one that jumped out of the boat. Clearly, he did not care about anything else. He wanted to be with Jesus. But remember what he had just gone through a couple days before. He had just denied him. When he said he wouldn't. He said, I'll die for you, Lord. Nope. Clearly, he went against that. So, so he was so excited. He said, Peter, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter at this point was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. See, to Jesus, that relationship that he had with Peter, that relationship that Peter wanted with him, had to be displayed in other people. It had to be displayed in a love, not just for Christ, but a love for each other. See, Jesus knew the strategy of the enemy. The strategy of the enemy is always to separate and isolate. Satan knows if he can separate you from family, and I don't mean blood family, I mean family that loves you in Christ. If he can separate you from family, then he can isolate you. If he can isolate you, he can then do what he needs to do. He can begin to permeate your mind with things that are against his word. Telling you, you're not truly loved. That that Jesus kind of forgot about all the things that he said. I know he's promised you a building. I know he's promised you perfect healing for Carson. He's promised you perfect healing for other things. He's promised you all these things. But you know what? Those are just words. See, that's what Satan wants to put in our minds, but he can only do it when we're not a family. Because a family fights for each other. A family sticks up for each other. A family fights when the enemy comes in, and not just affects us, but it affects other people. That's that's why we are ready, because we have fought for each other. We have built that foundation that Christ has built in us that has a care for others other than ourselves. And and not just on this generic level. Like, hey, thinking about you, send you a card. I'm good. No. 
Now, if you're on that prayer call at all, you know how much we pray for people every single day. Every day we go before the Lord. And we fight for each other because we love each other. You know, when, when people go through something difficult like, like Tyler and Cheyenne this week are, are burdened because of the loss of their dad. It is our responsibility out of love to hold them close. And by the way, it's not an obligation. It's not out of obligation that we do those things. It's out of love. It's out of caring for each other. See, Jesus said, if you love me, feed my lambs. If you love me, have community with my people. Love them. Be family with them. Show them how much you love them. I tell you, see, He loves us. And that love is not supposed to stay with us. Because then it becomes generic. Then it becomes ritualistic. It becomes religious. And he said, I think it's in Matthew. I, I pulled this up on my phone earlier. He said in Matthew 10, verse 32, he said, So everyone who acknowledges me before men... I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny them before my Father who is in heaven. It's about family. It's about acknowledging the relationship you have with Jesus and literally pressing that into the relationship that you have with the others. And not just people that you're comfortable with. And that's a tough one. You know, it's a tough one. Even for somebody who's an extrovert, I'm an extrovert. But a lot of times, extroverts are extroverts in public. You know, I don't know about you, but for me to... to the, the daunting task of going in and small talking just drives me insane. I'm, I, I, I can do it. I know how to do it. And when I used to be involved in politics, that uh, used to drive me nuts. Why? Because it wasn't family. But see, when we have a Christmas party like we did last week, when was that, Friday? Friday, I think. Yeah, it was just two days ago, right? Or was it a week ago? Okay, a week ago, Friday. <laughs> when we have a gathering like that, it's effortless. Why? Why do you think? Why do you think it's effortless to be with the people that you have built relationships here with? It's because of love. It's because his love abides in us. I want to read in 1 John. And this, this is a synopsis of why Jesus came and what he wanted to do 
Not because of him staying here, but because of him going to the Father. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, beginning there, says this. Again, 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. You know that verse there? I want to look something up. Hold on, hold on here. The word live there in the Greek is zeo. It means to live for a lifetime, to be quickened, to be alive, to be lively, to have breath. So that we might live through him, be alive through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins or the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love him. Is that what it says? No. It says, because he loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you you see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying because of that love that he has for us, because of that back and forth, that relationship that he has for us, we need to love each other. That's an end result of that relationship. By this we know that, whoops, no one has ever seen God. If we love one one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God. God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected or made complete with us, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. See, there's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. See, we have a lot of things we think in our lives that we need to be afraid of. And, and it's natural. See, we're, we're afraid of what can happen to us in this life. We're afraid of when things do happen. Or we're afraid of something that might happen. But see, what he's trying to inject into his bride is the idea of pure love. Pure love casts out fear. Why? Because pure love understands this life is a vapor. 
This life is not the culmination of who we are in Christ. This life is where we show faith in Him, where we build that relationship. But it's nothing to be afraid of. Because His love casts out fear. How do you think? I, I think of Stephen. We just went, went through that a few weeks ago in Acts, where, where his love was, was just so heavy for the people. In fact, it, it even said that his face looked like an angel. Do you think it was because he was cute? I don't think so. I think there was this radiance coming from him because of the power of love that was on him. He loved so much that in the face of death, he spoke truth. He spoke truth not to condemn. He spoke truth so people would see that love and say, man, there's something there. There's something there. See, that perfect love cast out his fear. You ever have a rock thrown at you? I remember on the playground. I mean, getting hit by one wasn't fun. You know, can you imagine being hit to death by them and yet having this perfect love that casts out all fear? Fear, in, in fact, no fear to the point where he said, do not hold this to their account. They don't know what they're doing. He showed love to the very end because love is what sustained him. Love is what will sustain us. We're, we're about to undergo a significant change in this church. And you're ready. You're ready. That significant change can't knock you off course. Don't look at what you can do. Don't look at, at the talents that we have. Because you know what? It's going to be a temptation to. I, I already know it. He's already told me that. See, we're going to have to... I, I know... I don't think it'll be any, any of you. But I know someone's going to come up to me and go, Okay, we need to start taking offerings. We need to start getting the word out that the church needs money. Because now we have this $5,000 a month mortgage. Or whatever it is. I don't even know what it is. I don't even know the building yet. So... So, so we got, we got to figure this out. Do you understand that all I ever want to see this church do to figure something out is drop to their knees. Drop to their knees, which is what we do every night on that prayer call. We drop to our knees and we say, Lord, whatever you want. Whatever you want. We trust you. We step in you. None of this is ours anyways. It's all His. So why in the world do we need to worry about it? In fact, I, I take it a little further in, in my own personal life. You can ask my kids. I, I take it a little further in, in saying that it's on Him. I, I was having a conversation with, the, with somebody about this recently. I can't remember who in the last few days. But I said, why, why are you worrying about what you need to do there. That's God's. That's God's. So put it back on him. 
Say, wait a second, Lord. You promised. You brought me here. You put me in this situation. I did it by faith. I trust you. I completely believe you. So, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to worry about what I need to do in this. I'm just going to worry about that next step you want me to take. That next step. You know what? He loves that. He loves that. He, he, I can just imagine him sitting there and, and just saying, yes. Yes, I just want to, I want to take, I, I picture him with both hands just holding the feet and saying, awesome. Here you go. Okay. Here you go. Here you go. Don't worry about the rest. Because if you've truly given it to him, then it's on him. He said, let me take your burdens. Wow. We want to talk about a Christmas gift. How about that you don't have to bear your own burdens? That's a Christmas gift. You're welcome. Let's pray. <laughs> what a Christmas gift. You do not have to, but we do, take those burdens on yourself. And how do we do it? By worry. We worry about it happening. Even right now, we, the Lord has told us the next step. That's all he said. He said, drive out to Newark. He gave us a few parameters. It's not that building, Jeff, that we talked about. He said it's in Newark. He said it's a building that will handle figure 400 people. And it will handle, Lydia's closet will open right away. It will handle all the ministries with it. So, I mean, we're not talking about a small building. But it's not the 1300 Merrill's Road that he's promised us either. That is coming. But this is, I don't know if it's a half step or whatever it is. But see, we don't need to know what it is. Because he hasn't told us yet. We don't need to know. So why burden yourself with worrying about that? In your own life, recognize the next step he's told you to do and take the step. Don't worry about what that means. Man, if, if this isn't a metaphor for giving, I don't know what is. Because giving is hard. Giving tithes and offerings, that's a hard thing. That's a step into darkness. And just trusting, Lord, I'm doing this because you told me to. I trust you. I, I'm not going to worry about this. I remember when, when I finally broke that threshold. And, and it, it was so freeing. And it was truly the, the thought process of, this is on you. Lord, I, I'm paying this, so, so if my mortgage doesn't get paid, that's on you. That's not on me. If I'm doing what I need to do, then I'm trusting that you'll do what you say you're going to do. And guess what? He has never, not one time, ever not provided. Ever. So it's what we can do is just trust him. That's all we can do. We can just trust him. So recognize that as we move to this next step, that's coming, it's coming quickly. I, I, you know, 
Unfortunately, he never gives us timetables, but we know we don't have much time. I mean, we're, we're a matter of weeks, I believe. But as we take this step and we move forward and he shows us this next building, this next step, when those people start showing up, this is what they need to experience. This love. This is what they need to experience. This family. Because this is what the bride is missing. So be excited. Be excited that we're to that next step. But recognize what Jesus said to Peter. If you love me, you got to feed them. If you love me, you got to love them. We're going to have a lot of faces that we don't know. We're going to go into those neighborhoods and meet people that we don't know. Are we going to feed the lambs? Are we going to feed them? Are we going to love them? Are we going to bring them into our family like somebody who's been here from the very beginning? I know that's what Jesus wants. And I'm Mm. confident that's what he's going to do. And that's what you're going to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you, God. You are almighty God. And we love you with our whole heart. And Lord, as, as you have instructed in obedience, Father, you have built this family here in love with each other. I thank you for what this season represents. I also thank you, Lord, for what this day in Ignition Church represents. It represents that next step of faith. Trusting you for that next phase that you're leading us into. We're so excited, God. We're so excited, I can't wait. Because there's a crying and dying world that desperately needs this family, needs to be intertwined with you in relationship. So, Father, bless us this day. Bless us as we go be with our families, as we go spend time with loved ones. Just give us such a joy in this season. And wrap it all around you. Because we love you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Um, he mentioned though, something that would happen as a result of change and moving and things like that. And one thing that's been heavy on me, and this is kind of, it's very important. It's not going to be said only here now, but it's kind of a warning um, when you transition into a new place, just the environment will shift and um, just the, the difference in you know, atmosphere and where you sit and what the chairs look like and the sheer space difference can bring something that can be a very destructive spirit to a church. And so one thing I want to warn you of as it pertains to the message, you know, when he talked about how you'll, we'll know that people will know that we're followers of Jesus by our love. Sometimes 
we're unaware of this, but unconsciously we listen to a message like this and go, okay, yeah, yeah, we need to love one another, and yeah, we need to love, yeah, we need to love. And it's almost subliminally you listen to it from the standpoint of, so I'm going to be loved. I'm going to be loved. But what happens is when we begin to grow, we have a different environment, you will begin to feel that that difference in an emotionally kind of a, a displacement. Like, man, I, I used to feel like a connection with this group, and now it's like there's these new people, and I don't see so-and-so the way I used to, or I don't talk to them in the way that I used to in terms of this, the environment I was in. And, and what, what the enemy will do is bring a spirit of offense. Like, when was the last time that somebody, you know, um, talked to me or warmed up to me or did whatever? You'll begin to think that the growth will mean that you're ignored or that you don't feel that sense of that. That's why a lot of people, a lot of churches get stuck in a particular growth because they, they fear the expansion of the new people. But what's so important about this message today is that if you take on one responsibility, love Christ, love others, that's it. Don't ever give it a thought about how you are being loved. Because if you go in with a, well, okay, we're supposed to love one another, so therefore I'm going to be loved. Don't look at it from an I and what I need. Because what's the, even the Matthew 6.33 concept, if we seek him first, all these things will be added. So if every one of us does the loving Christ and loving others, it will come back to us as love. But if we don't, if we don't take our part, because as you begin to see uh, a shift in environment, it, it'll both be exciting, but it'll be intimidating and threatening, and just the growth will make you feel like maybe the people around you that you used to feel warm and fuzzy and that care about you, that'll shift. doesn't mean that they're stopping caring about you, but there is an atmosphere change that a lot of times affects people. I've seen it happen in Sunday school classes when there's a knit small group in the beginning and it begins to grow. Some of the first original group starts to kind of feel like, well, I mean, we're not small anymore, so I mean, you know, nobody really cares. And that's a dangerous, divisive spirit. So if you take on the attitude of, I'm just going to do my part. I am going to love Jesus with my whole heart, and I'm going to show his love to others. The love that you receive back, the response, will always consistently be love. Because you're not going to worry about yourself. That's so important as we go into a change. Because we don't know what that's going to look like. Even though some of us, um, some of us, like me, feel like we kind of do know where we're going. Uh, but the Lord just has to confirm it. Um, but anyway, it's very, very important that you take that on. And again, I'm, this isn't the first time I'm going to say this because um, it's real easy for, for the enemy to get you with a chip on your shoulder. And that spirit of offense comes really quickly. Like, well, it used to be this way and it's just not this way anymore, so therefore I'm not cared about. Watch that spirit. That's dangerous. Because that can lead you to beginning to judge others' hearts when that may not be the case. Different isn't bad, but we've got to embrace it. And if, we, if, if we're truly ready, then we're going to know who we are in Christ and what our responsibility is to love, and we will be fine. You know, because our, our security is going to be tested. You know, when you're in a tight-knit, cozy, cozy environment of family, that, when that begins to expand our, in our humanity, it gets threatened. And we start to feel like, well, where's my place? Where's my place? I don't know. I don't, there's just, now there's so many people. I'm getting lost. I'm getting, you're never lost when you love Christ first. And then you love everybody else that comes in your path. So you've got to remember that. Don't look at 
that the message today through the lens of, okay, well then I guess I'm going to be loved because it's everybody's responsibility to love. No, there will be days you won't emotionally feel that way. But if you're secure and anchored in Christ, you'll, you'll, you'll weather it. You'll weather the change because the change, while exciting, is going to be tough for a lot of people. Because going from cozy to big is what trips up a lot of churches. And quite frankly, it keeps a lot of churches small because they end up sabotaging the growth with a bad attitude because they're just threatened by it. They don't even recognize that they're doing it. It's just, it's kind of like they just, okay, you're new. Hi, I'll greet you, but you're really not part of our group. We're here. It's just a weird way to begin to react. And so we got to be aware of that. And be careful. And um, and I've also seen people that have just left churches because, and they quietly sneak away because of that isolation that he spoke of, where Satan isolates you and begins to say, nobody cares about you. Now that they're big, they don't care about you. Don't believe it. If you know who you are in Christ, you've got to, again, love him and love others. And when you're doing your part, trust me, God will add all the love and security you can imagine. So that's just one thing we got to really be careful as we transition into this new new step and new journey. And I'm very excited about it, but it's going to bring a lot of change. And it's weird how we resist change. But remember what one of the messages Greg said even recently, you're not growing in your relationship with the Lord if you're always in your comfort zone. Your comfort zone will constantly be stretched. And so growth in a church is part of that. Your ministry, your destiny, everything, it's going to stretch your comfort zone. So be ready for that. And thank you all for, uh, for taking, I know a lot of people have Christmas Eve services at night, so it's not unusual to go to church on Christmas Eve. That's a very normal thing. A lot of churches um, are having their Christmas Eve services tonight. But thank you for coming this morning. And, um, and you know, whatever else is, is pulling and tugging at you, um, boy, keep Christ at the center of what this is all about. He came through humanity and as a human um, to, uh, to deliver us. And what a cool, just a cool story. You know, begin to look at the layers of what it really means. Yes. Uh, you know, we hear the bumper stickers and the posters and all the things that keep Christ in Christmas. But what does that really mean to you? I hope that you'll ponder that and let that soak in. And thank you to those of you who work night shifts and are here by a thread, <laughs> no sleep, and are just faithful. And uh, um, I just pray the, the blessing on your Christmas. And, um, I really wasn't even going to worry about announcements. You're going to see the brochure soon with the ladies' retreat, so we're going to get all that to you. We just really want you to focus on uh, today's um, focus with, about Jesus. You do? Okay, well, I'm not going to let you give it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go right ahead.